I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Luke Seconton. And we love to watch. (laughs) We love to watch. What has a guest and has taken two months off? These guys. We we, we love to watch. We love to watch. How is everyone? Well, thank you guys for joining us right on schedule, on time. We're back with no uh, no problems. Everything's been going smoothly. Aaron's laptop cord up broke, and it, it's been a debacle. Why are you self-narking like you're like a George Washington or something? Like, we don't care, okay? Have I told you about Catholic guilt? <laughs> that is where you feel guilt when uh, you are mean to Catholics. <laughs> Right. This this math like. checks out. Yeah. No, I understand. Uh, yeah, we we've uh, for you guys uh, the podcast has probably continued as as normal. We've been releasing them every week, but we haven't recorded in uh, two months. So if we're we're a little rusty getting back on the old bicycle, uh, it's because it's tough to learn to ride a bike again, as the old saying goes. Uh, yeah, especially after a debilitating accident. Um, oh yeah, no, we're like uh, we're like if Lance Armstrong wasn't uh, disgraced for his drug use, but instead got into a to an accident, uh, and that made everyone <laughs> sad. So, <laughs> well, it wasn't an accident. You do know that after the like the doping stuff came out, they came in and broke his ankles. He, I mean, he did that just so he had an excuse to take more steroids, right? I understand. Yeah. I watched that one documentary by Alex Gibney, All or Nothing, the story about me specifically and also Lance Armstrong. Um, Luke, you're our guest. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Very glad to be here. We're very glad to have you. Thank you for uh, coming back on the inaugural episode of us coming back off of a break. And you get to sit and enjoy uh, us um, sort of getting a feel back for what podcasting is like. Yeah, and it's not going great. It's not. So go- far. It's not going great. Um, <laughs> thankfully, the trash one, show. No the, one should listen to it. The one thing that <laughs> has we've continued to hone our skills is in editing because we've still edited an episode every week. So don't worry, Luke. This disaster that has started is going to be really good by the end. It's going to be. It's going to be I'm glad to hear it. You've yeah, been great. solid seventeen minute episode. Yeah, you've been you've just been so good, Luke. You've been chef so, fingers, you're frankly. So, you're so good. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's weird too. Like these things are so funny to do because Luke and I have never talked before. Luke and Peter have never <laughs> talked before, and we're like, oh, nope. we, we're talking to him like we're petting an animal. <laughs> oh, oh, honey. Oh. oh, oh, good boy. You're such a good boy. Uh, now it's getting sort of condescending, and I don't like that tone. It's supposed yeah. to be loving. Um, so, anyways, Luke, um, why don't you tell? Aaron us doesn't a- know how to express love without becoming condescending at some point. <laughs> I know it's really tough. Uh, <laughs> my marriage is on the rocks. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> so is your drink <laughs> it's very much not fun fact i stopped putting ice in my drink because it was picked up way too much on mike <laughs> yeah wow that's dedication to the craft yeah that, that is impressive warm pepsi rum because i love you guys 
so much. <laughs> you not, not you, not to be, sh- 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 not you guys, like the audience, because they would be the ones affected by the sound quality. Mm. Thank you. Why don't you just put those two liquids into the fridge and freezer? Yeah, I forgot today, Peter, but thanks for calling it out. I've got a lot of things going on in my life, okay? I forgot. It's okay. It's Luke, okay. So, Aaron, Luke, why don't you, you have a new three, baby. I, yeah, yeah, it's it's up there. I just heard a bottle being made for it. Um, <laughs> glad I'm down here. Um, so, before we get started, uh, if you've never heard our podcast before, and it sure as fuck sounds like we haven't, um, <laughs> we are a podcast that talks about movies, usually in sets of four. Sometimes we spice it up, depends on the month. And we say, look at these four movies. We're going to talk about them. Uh, in one at a time instances, and occasionally, if we remember that we're a themed month podcast, we'll reference uh, we'll reference one of the other movies we saw that month as well that might be similarly themed. Uh, for this month, I think we're going to be doing actually a lot of cross referencing. It really is kind of like a boost to our show. Like, oh yeah, even when they're not direct sequels, maybe we should be doing this more often. But uh, these movies are so connected, and even when um, they're connected by their similarities, which are the Burton Batman movies. Forgot to mention that. Or they're, uh, as we're going to talk about tonight, as we cover Batman Forever, they are almost connected in how uh, vast the gulf between the movie's tones to the point that I was even shocked. I don't know about you guys. I'm sure we're going to talk about it. Um, but Peter, especially, you and I just watched the Burton ones, and I kind of remember Batman Forever being like a gentle step towards a different direction, but it is not. It is a slap in the face with a different direction. But before we get into that, Luke, you're, you're a first-time guest on our show. Why don't you tell our audience three things about yourself? Well, my name's Luke Sackington. I'm 27 years old. I live and work in St. Louis, Missouri, a beautiful city. Uh, in the finance industry, so I think that makes me some kind of horrible millennial boogeyman. <laughs> um, Luke, uh, the fact that you are the same age as me uh, is uh, intimidating, considering that uh, your voice is several octaves lower than mine. Um, Years of practice. Uh, <laughs> Luke, if I gave you $5, how many dollars could I have by the end of this week? That depends on how many dollars you're willing to pay back to me at the end of it. I don't. I understand finances. My wife doesn't pay all our bills. Uh... <laughs> uh, to be honest, uh, and I hope my boss isn't listening. I don't think I fully understand finances. So, oh no, your boss is a guest for the second half. Um, Oi. Typically wanted to talk about sugar. And I spice. am in trouble. <laughs> um, we always. This is a. This is. I. We. This isn't in our PowerPoint. But one of the big policies we have on we love to watch is we get a guest, talk to the boss. Who knows you better than your boss so we can kind of get to know you? Because if there's anyone you show your real personality to, it's your boss. Of course. I don't know. I think we're on two. 27 works in the finance industry. What else you got? Uh, did I mention I live in St. Louis, Missouri? You did. Sure, and but we that have goes along memories. with being in the finance industry, I think. They're like simpatico. <laughs> Not really. Well, luckily for you lot, I've been a Batman fan ever since I was a little kid. So that's why I was so eager to do this episode with you. Yes. Us too. If um, We talked about our history with Batman um, on the Batman 1989 episode we did a couple weeks ago. And Peter and I didn't know this prior to recording, but like we almost had very similar histories with it being like the one superhero when we were younger that we were like, no, this is my superhero. This is absolutely mine. 
Um, so thank you, Luke. Uh, we're going to get into it pretty quickly. It's kind of been the pattern for this month to the, because uh, we're going to talk about something. Uh, we we there there's a there's an elephant in the room in this movie that we want to talk about, and I don't want it to overwhelm the movie discussion. So we're going to start there, and then we're going to get into the episode proper because this movie kind of becomes overtaken. Uh, very quickly by the biggest star in this movie. The biggest star in this movie is not Batman. The biggest star in this movie is a uh, subtle comic by the name of uh, Jimothy Carey. <laughs> I forgot. I, I was trying to remember the the full name of people named Jim, and I forgot James and went with Jimothy. No, Jimothy sounds right. Yeah, no, it's it's actually Jimberton. But it could be Jimothy either way. In his case, it's Jimothy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I, so, yeah, Jim Carrey, this is such a weird movie to set it up a little bit. So, Jim Carrey is like, um, he was on In Living Color. He had a few parts in some 80s movies, early 90 movies like Earth Girls Are Easy and Once Bitten. All of a sudden, 1994, I'm 11 years old. You guys are the exact same age, which is younger. He comes out with three movies in 1994, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber. And somehow in the span of a year, he became someone that most people didn't know by name to not just like the biggest comedy star in the world or the biggest movie star in the world, but like for a couple years, the biggest thing in this in the world and we're we're going to talk about in the in the episode proper about how this movie clearly just kind of lets him say whatever it's the i I have to assume i couldn't find any information that backed that up but i it feels like he just got to say things or just go off like late period robin williams uh, also middle and early so this came right after that year and then all of a sudden he's cast in this huge blockbuster movie and they kind of give the movie over to him and then his career is so it's so bizarre because then the next year he does he gets the biggest paycheck ever does the cable guy everyone's like this guy actually sucks never mind and then the next year does liar liar 1997 uh which is kind of considered his comeback movie and then his career gets i think pretty interesting from like bad comedies to like these really great dramatic performances but there was like a two-year time period where Especially if you were in your, like, a preteen or a kid or I imagine a teenager college, like, Jim Carrey was a level of funny that you had never imagined before. And that was the case for me. Like, I, I it's so hard to describe and it's almost embarrassing looking back at it because even watching this movie, I was like, Every single thing he said, I remember thinking was like a genius quotable line that then all <laughs> me and my friends would say. And it was the same for like The Mask. And I mean, Dumb and Dumber, I think, is like of those four movies, the one that um, is still like very funny. But this is just him without good writing, getting to say whatever he wants. And I it was the best thing in the world. It was like a level of funny I had never understood before. And that sounds like hyperbole, but it wasn't like he was just and I don't quite get it. So I'm hoping that you guys can kind of share your experience with like mid 90s Jim Carrey, your thoughts, your, all that kind of stuff where where you guys were at. But also, I kind of want to spend a little time getting to the bottom of what what why did we why did as a nation all of us were like, 
him yelling that like surfs up was like oh my god put him on the hollywood walk of fame give him <laughs> all the money i'm gonna say it to my friends right after this movie i've thought of 10 situations specifically that i'm gonna use that it's so funny looking back and trying to like figure out what headspace we were all like collect is right stockholm syndrome really but <laughs> that we thought this so go ahead guys like you guys it, are it both is one- like a it is like a blitzkrieg effect it, yeah. it's the rob it, i mean it, robin williams was always a better comic like jim carrey was a an improviser but also like a um a uh an impressionist primarily uh, it sounds like from his early career and did, you, did either of you guys ever watch in living color I did not, no. No, I think we were aged out of that one. Yeah, a little before my time. Yeah. I only watched it in <laughs> retrospect, and it is, there's a lot of good stuff on In Living Color. He is, again, he's he's Jim carrying all over the place. He's, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh my, <laughs> it's, it's like watching, it's so embarrassing. I just, yeah, it's crazy. The only In Living Color clips I've seen were, yes, him just being full Jim Carrey, which um is pretty embarrassing we'll get to that sometimes um and then the other half of it is um one of the wayans brothers doing a mincing gay stereotype oh, yeah, like the, the movie really yeah, it's really bad. really painful there, the three or four clips i saw were not great so like his early career i'm mostly exposed to his stand-up jim carrey stand-up yeah it's that high energy robin williams thing where it's just a blitzkrieg on the senses where you just like yeah, that was like kind of funny, but then you have another like high energy thing coming right after that, and like, yeah, you just get swept. I guess you just get swept up in it. Yeah, it's just this overwhelming wave of energy, kind of a shotgun approach, where if you throw out enough jokes quickly enough and hard enough, some of them are going to land. And it's, they're it, delivered it's pretty great, confidently. Yeah, yeah. like yes. it's like, well, he is clearly going for broke. He wouldn't be doing that if this is ridiculous. Um, yeah. It's just pure absurdism, really. Yeah. Luke, so were you, uh, Peter, I think we kind of spoke prior to the episode, which we shouldn't do, and then just assume people know, but you, I know you were a Jim Carrey fan at like this, at his prime time here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was a, I was a Jim Carrey fan um, at this time and I still am, am, a, am a Jim Carrey fan. I it just, what I like about him has completely shifted over the years. I used to like that, like high energy, like just manic stuff when I was younger. And then I got very, very fucking sick of that. And then I discovered his like dramatic performances like in Truman Show and and uh, obviously Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind. And then I like started to give him a second chance. And then after that, I was like, you know, there is some charm to him in the right scenario. But a lot of his movies have not aged well. Like Ace Ventura's entire movie oh, leads yeah. up to a transphobic joke. It's just very offensive. Yeah. So like his legacy is very tarnished because like I think a lot of his movies have not aged well that are just pure comedies. So Luke, so you were not this the, the Jim Carrey bug, the, the super virus. <laughs> I was not bitten by that bug. Fortunately, I was inoculated against that at a young age. So was it, let me ask you. you a had good though. taste at a young age. So you would have been what? So you're 27. So you've been like seven, right? Eight. Right. Was it a lack of awareness, or even as like a seven, eight year old, it was like I see what he's doing. I reject it wholeheartedly. Give me my finance stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's more, I didn't really have a lot of exposure to what at the time would have been considered that sort of jejun juvenile entertainment. It was just not something my parents really believed in. So I I ended up discovering Jim Carrey as an adult. I think it was in college the first time I watched Dumb and Dumber. So what'd you think of Dumb and Dumber? Because that's one I still think is funny. I I enjoyed it. I don't feel that it was really respecting my intelligence, but it was a lot of fun. (laughs) Because that's the one that I think relies on a very, like, that's, for a dumb movie, it's a very clever movie. And it has a lot of really good writing. And, like, it's not just Jim Carrey being funny. And he's kind of, like, laid back. He's not, he does yell in that movie, but it's not, like, all yelling, all catchphrases. So I think that does hold up well. It's the Ace Ventura, the mask, the Ace Ventura, when nature calls, the Batman forevers of the world, where it's like, just just let him go. Just get him off the leash and do his thing. This will hold up forever. No time will ever damage this. That just looks, I think, really poor in retrospect. It's also why I don't know if um, Peter, I'm sure you've seen Cable Guy. Luke, have you ever seen the movie The Cable Guy? I have not. No. So the reason I I love that movie, I actually think it's one of his, it's definitely one of his best 90s comedy movies, Uh, maybe one of his, probably one of his best comedy movies at all. And I think it kind of works in the same way that like Punch Drunk Love does, because it takes all of that behavior, which was already tropes in 1996 that he did and like truly turned it into, okay, if you met this person in real life, he would not be funny. He would be an aggressive maniac who you would not you would want to get away from as quickly as possible. And it plays on that. It treats Jim Carrey's persona as the, as the terrifying thing that you would, you would, you would, and how you would react to that if you met it in real life. In the same way, like punch drunk love takes like, here's Adam Sandler, this who always plays these kind of like broken yelly man children. What if I took that and kind of made it more grounded? I'm going to take that character, but t- strip away everyone laughing at him and then see what gets exposed there. And so I, I love the cable guy and I think it's, it's really, but it's him saying, Oh yeah, everything I'm doing is aggressively unfunny. That's what I find interesting about Jim Carrey. such an enormous success story. I believe I read somewhere that his backup plan of comedy doesn't work out was to go work at a steel mill and somewhere in Toronto, like some sort of Stan Rogers, working class song but just <laughs> something about that is he's always struck me as being remarkably self-aware that what people were lapping up from him wasn't necessarily i'm not sure how to put this but it wasn't necessarily the first thing you would think of when you think of sophisticated comedy let me be diplomatic about that <laughs> actually i actually think that's fair because so i watched that man in the moon documentary that they they had on netflix and the movie itself, I love. Oh, Man um, on the Moon's great. Um, yeah. But so he mentions that he was ha- he was trying to do typical stand-up bits. And then all of a sudden, one day, he just wasn't working for him. And he just started kind of yelling and making noises. And he thought it was so stupid. And then the crowd kind of ate it up. So I think there's been a little bit of a self-awareness and maybe even a little bit of sadness that like that thing that he kind of had a little bit of contempt for made him famous because he really took a very quick turn into can i please stop doing this right the truman show man on the moon and then more dramatic like you think like truman show which is one of my 
like favorite movies of all time, that's 97. That's three years after he hits big. Like he, he didn't play that fiddle very long. And then 96 with Cable Guy, he's basically like turning that persona into an unlikable monster. <laughs> and that's a short period of time. Yeah, and also in, in Truman Show, there's one bad moment in the movie, and it's when he gets to do the Jim Carrey off-the-cuff thing. He's in a car spinning around a cul-de-sac or something, and then he oh, just yeah. starts making manic noises, and you're just like, oh, Jim, we we didn't need that version of you today. Like, that was not the movie that you're in. And it's it's a it's an uncomfortable moment because it, it feels like he's, like, self-conscious or something about his performing abilities and he's actually like a pretty good dramatic performer um he has a very open face he has very open eyes like he can he can give that sad puppy dog thing like a real good run for its money right right um but he's i think he's so what i i consider him to be and i hope that in the next few years he gets to kind of have a turnaround like uh one of these guys he's as only good as his scripts so and when a we talked about this with regard Yes, and we were talked about this with regards to Jack Black um, in some episode. King Kong. Oh, it would have been King Kong. In that regard, I mean that Jack Black has turned in some incredibly good performances, and he's also turned in some of the worst shit you've ever seen, and it is entirely based on how much the script gives him, because sometimes they have these comedic, these comedy scripts that, like, they get roped into doing that don't have actual jokes in them, but they just re- rely on Jack Black, the Jim Carrey's, the Eddie Murphy's to jump in and just like give their trademark energy. And when those people just have to give their energy and don't have any writing behind it and don't have any power behind the movie or they do have power behind the movie and they just didn't give a shit, um, they turn in trash. Jack Black has turned in a lot of garbage before. Jim Carrey has turned yeah. in a lot of garbage before. And now Jack Black seems to have turned a corner I hope Jim Carrey can also turn a corner in the next few years because I miss that like eternal sunshine Jim Carrey where it's like the, the, the puppy dog eyes and that sense of like I'm a funny guy but I'm also like there's a, there's a human inside this clown. There's some melancholy to it. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's kind of funny because Jim Carrey feels like he's not just turned a corner so many times in his career, but he's like he's actually doing laps around the block because like he does. He's like, oh. I'm an amazing dramatic actor, but now, oh, wait, what am I doing? Mr. Poplar's Penguins and Yes Men? Oh, wait, oh, no, wait, here's something interesting. It's coming around. Like, he he just kind of keeps circling, I think, some different roles. But it is true that, like, his his luster and his star has really almost, like, disappeared. Like, could could you name – I think the last Jim Carrey movie is a movie I haven't seen. Oh, no, wait, he was in The Bad Batch, which I haven't seen. I think he, he was, was in, in the Kick- Bad Batch. Yeah, and I think he was in Kickass Two. Kickass Two makes more sense. But like these are like these are for the biggest movie of all star of not all time, but like this huge movie star. It is weird. Like Dumb and Dumber Two, which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. That was recent. I I'm I'm pulling up his filmography quick. So he did a movie called Dark Crimes in 2016. No. Which there, yeah, that's that's not think, that's not good. Uh, if there's something no, that came out with him in it that we haven't heard of, that's not a good sign. So it will, it will release in the United States on May 18th. So oh, so but yeah, yeah, Bad Batch last year, Dumb and Dumber two 2014, so three years. Uh, Kick Ass two is 2013. 
Incredible Burt Wonderstone was 2013. And then Mr. Poplar's Penguins in 2000. He has done, like, in the last 10 years. I mean, his last good performance is I Love You, Philip Morris, which is uh, 2009. Which was an amazing movie that found a way to balance his manic persona, his, like, sort yeah. of I need to get you on my side persona, into a perfect character, which is a con man, a liar. Yeah, and then the two good movies. So then he did in between I Love You, Philip Morris, 2009, and his last two good movies, I would say, which are Turtle Sunshine and Lemony Snicket which are both 2004, he did Yes Man, Horton Hears a Who, the number 23 in Fun with Dick and Jane. So, like, he has done, since 2004, so 14 years, he's done one good movie, I think. We would all agree. And, that <laughs> and, and, and those, and the Fun with Dick and Jane, uh, Popper's Penguins, and uh, I yes saw Man most of those. Are they're, all, they're terrible. Are, yeah, uh, yes are all kind of terrible. Desperate pleas for the old relevancy. It's him going back to the well, which liar liar was him going back to the well after Cable Guy his career sort of sort of tanked. And then yeah, I think Liar Liar was like the sixth or seventh biggest grossing movie of of the year it came out. Yeah. Um. He but he needed that comeback, and then it just didn't it didn't sustain itself. He's he's a very reactive performer. And at times, like, it seems like he's almost, like, uh, self-conscious of, of where, where his career is going. And right now he's in this weird, like, uh, political poetic stage where he's, like, talking about, like, spiritual energies and clean living and, like, all this shit. And, like, in all these interviews, even, like, yeah. comedians in cars getting coffee, like, one one half of it, at least, is not about comedy. Half of it is about, like his uh his philosophy on the world and uh, why you need to cl- live cleanly and like uh all this stuff that's like I, I it would be interesting but it's more just baffling coming out of a jim carrey figure uh yeah and also there's i mean there is a lot of weird stuff like obviously he had all the whole anti-vaxxer thing which he's oh, backed yeah. away from a yeah. this was jenny and mccarthy he, yeah and then he had that creepy um, Emma Stone video that he posted online. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend never watching it. Huh? I think I'll take you up on that. Yeah. So let's talk about real quick. We already talked about the we already talked about the Grinch in a previous episode, but that is the ultimate example of what I was talking about earlier, where Jim Carrey is a. Uh, he wasn't given like anything in the script. The script itself is is has a few funny jokes here and there, but it's it's mostly just like pop culture references and like stupid lines. And he actually makes some hay in there. Like he he's still pretty funny in one of the ugliest movies of all time. <laughs> um, I'm a firm believer that a good actor can elevate weak material, but. I don't know that that's always been the case with Carrie's career, and I don't mean that in a critical fashion, but sometimes there's just so much you can do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you can make lemonade out of lemons, but you can't make lemonade out of uh, horse dung. Exactly. No. And sometimes when all he wants is a yes, man, you just gotta say no, man. <laughs> uh, no, thank you. No, man. Uh yeah, and you know it's funny because we kind of referenced where his career went. I I honestly think that like what's what's kind of amazing watching this movie to kind of transition back and talking about Batman Forever or starting to talk about Batman Forever. <laughs> um, I honestly think there is a version of Jim Carrey who could have played an amazing Riddler. Like yes, if he had gone into his you know melancholy, sad. 
uh, pining version of himself. Like, I don't know, like, a, I think, you know, Eternal Sunshine is probably the obvious touch point, but some maybe a little more energy than, than Joel in that movie. Because <laughs> um, I don't think the Riddler would get out of bed to go fight the Batman, which which is very great. <laughs> um, but That'd like, be a great Batman movie. It's just Batman sitting around, like, punching guys, and he's like, isn't there supposed to be, like, a big bad guy about now? <laughs> they just keep cutting to the Riddler, like, what does it matter? I've lost to him before. I'll probably just lose again. <gasps> oh. <laughs> that'd be a great villain plan uh, for somebody to break Batman's morale because like he's just like eventually it just doesn't feel the same punching like a you know uh unemployed homeless person mugging someone over and over (laughs) again like eventually i don't feel good about this so because there is a couple moments in the movie like when he's at his apartment and he's kind of being like weird and shuffly and creepy and trying to design costumes and breathing heavily and he's if uh, there's two little scenes in his apartment, but I kind of noticed this time, like he's not yelling, he's not performing. And it's just like this kind of, um, hermit who kind has all these interesting touches going on. Like if he had played them closer to that for the entire movie, I think you have, uh, I mean, you have to change the entire tone of the movie, but I think you have a fantastic Riddler. I agree. Yeah, that, are you talking about the sequence where it's sort of a tracking shot down a hallway yeah. of all Riddler stuff, and they play "Bad Days" by Flaming Lips? Yeah, and he's yeah that, and then he like is talking. He's trying to figure out a costume, um, and he's like you know talking to a statue. It keeps pointing at the light bulb. Um, I mean, I guess you could make the case that the that actually the whole point of the characterization is that when you see. That is who he is, really, and when you see him in any other context, he's performing even if no one's there, and that's a level of sadness. But I don't think the movie intends that. That's giving the, probably the movie way more credit than it deserves. But, like, that kind of weird performance, offbeat, off-kilter, nerdy supervillain, I think, would have been the perfect performance. It's just in every other scene he's yelling and performing, which is kind of at odds with his, like, home life persona. No, I agree. That moment just made him seem kind of just obsessed and genuinely mentally ill, like yeah. a classic Batman villain. Do you think that it's a self-conscious thing? Like, do you think that it's a self-conscious thing that, like, Jim Carrey thought, like, I'm in this massive movie. I'm getting paid a ton of bucks. I'm maybe the biggest star in this movie. I'm clashing against Tommy Lee Jones, who fucking hates me. And, Val, that it was and Val Kilmer hated him. Val too. Kilmer, yes, also. It sounds like it was a fucking, fucking contentious shoot, because, like, but, Joel Schumacher did not get along with any of the principal people. Like, he no. promised to never work with any of them. Though he did, but he promised to never work with any of them again. In all fairness to Jim Carrey, though, Joel Schumacher did say later, the problems were Val and Tommy Lee Jones, that Jim Carrey was a consummate professional who showed up ready to work and ready to assist in any way that he could. Jim Carrey's got a lot of personality foibles, but it doesn't surprise me that he would have been like, he never struck me as someone who would walk into a set, even in 1995, even when he's at the height of their, his stardom and like start big timing people. He may take a joke too far, but he, he does seem very affable in his real life. And we discussed on the Island of Dr. Moreau episode uh, how much of a dick Val Kilmer yeah. was at this point. Um, and it apparently only got worse. 
Um, so yeah, I agree. I, I would levy a lot of the problems at the other principles, but still it's an interesting thing because I think maybe Jim Carrey was just self-conscious or something at this time because he, he leaned into the persona that people knew him for instead yeah. of, um, well, that's what they coming want. That's up with a, a, a whole right. new character that he, he would do years later in Truman show and, and, and Philip Morris and a whole new thing. Um, he doesn't do a whole new thing. He, he goes back to the well in a way that's, Similar to the Grinch, like it's kind of toxic. People don't like it. <laughs> well, and that's what, but that's what made this movie such a box office success. Like it really was on the back of like Jim Carrey, and now he's in this huge movie, and and that really what what led to Batman Forever outgrossing Batman Returns and being the direction they plan to continue to take this franchise. And as we mentioned last week, uh, other franchises they they saw the returns on this movie which I think at the time broke the opening weekend box office record and they canceled Tim Burton's Catwoman movie. Cause they were like, Nope, this is, this is where it's at. Um, and that came crashing down pretty quickly after this, but for like this movie is riding on the back and the persona of Jim Carrey all the way to the finish line and people ate it up. So I think with that makes sense. Do you guys want to start talking about, Batman forever. Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Peter, I mentioned a couple weeks ago. I don't know if these welcome backs when it's twenty second music break is working for people. Uh, what do you? I didn't ask for your take. Don't ask. I just okay. want you to continue forward with what you're doing. You're doing whoa, a great whoa. job, sweetie. <laughs> welcome back. Don't do that. I'm gonna, don't do that. <laughs> I'm gonna do the, <laughs> look. I can't do a Jim Carrey impression. I'm gonna do you the rest can. of the episode in the spirit of Jim Carrey. <laughs> so this will be a 40-minute episode, everyone, because uh, I am leaving. <laughs> hey, Peter. <laughs> Peter? Yes? Some, somebody stop me. <laughs> oh. oh, wait. Oh, oh, wait. You've left Skype. <laughs> I did start giggling earlier in the episode because um, you were talking about Dumb and Dumber, and I was trying to... <laughs> And even 20 years later, the thought of the scene where he goes, uh, do you want to hear the most annoying noise in the world? <laughs> and he goes, Aah! like really, really loud is something that still makes me giggle, but in a way that like doesn't make me feel good about myself. <laughs> like it's not Are like you... a good giggle. So, Peter, we've brought Luke here today and myself to talk about it. Do you still do you sometimes feel like you're that kid just trying to make people laugh by being the most annoying person in the world. Um, I'm not trying to make people laugh. I just want them to look at me and maybe, you know, maybe that'll mean I'm real. Luke, can you share your notes on this subject? I got nothing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
Sounds like y'all have some serious baggage that I was not prepared to handle, so. So, hey, we'll, we'll yes. edit this. Uh, Luke, can you, can you like, uh, pretend you brought your notes like we talked about? <laughs> Don't worry. In the, in the edit, it'll sound like we're really we're on the same team. We're helping Peter. It won't sound like you didn't bring your notes. <laughs> I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure what we're talking about right now. <laughs> Aaron, we're done Aaron. making the guest uncomfortable. Okay, that's uh, yeah, it's just a hazing thing, not underlying issues we're working through. Uh, anyway, uh, I am alternate taglines. Please, as Peter, please. As Peter uh, alluded to on the break, uh, I didn't write any this time because I forgot I was them. But let's let's give it a whirl. So alternate tagline for Batman Forever. <laughs> hey guys, Batman Forever. Uh, it's their way of telling us they're never going to stop making them. What a nonsensical um, title. Yeah, it is. Tim Burton fucking hated it. He was like, he was a producer who kind of left, you know, the process. But he like twenty years later is in interviews talking about how much he hate. It's Batman Forever as a title. He if it was if he had signed on, which he was thinking about doing for a little bit, he would have called it Batman Continues. Which is even worse somehow. Batman what? Forever just sounds like something you get tattooed on yourself when you're very, very drunk. <laughs> uh, the, that, the worst serialized names are Batman can or you know, like Zatoichi Rises Again or whatever, Lone Wolf and Cub Return, or whatever. There's more movie. Like that the worst type of, of sequel naming convention, I think. So, so Batman you, Forever is incomprehensible, yes, but at least it's incomprehensible. I kinda liked it because sequels at the time um, I remember we wanted to check this before, like, what was the first sequel that both, like, used the two? You know, like, actually just said part two or some version of it. Because, like, in the 30s and 40s, it feels like sequels were like, you know, the Thin Man Rides Again. I don't think that's an actual... <laughs> There's, like, six you know, of the them, thin and man I got, Famously, I got it was on a horse. Oh, Son th- of Khan. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Like, they didn't use numbers. They just – it feels like they just used a new title. Uh, and a lot of that is because, like, books rarely, like, said, like – even, like, the the Bible. Like, the New Testament wasn't called Old Testament 2. This time um, it's personal. Yeah. <laughs> this time we have a protagonist who's consistent throughout. Um, <laughs> like, that was a literature thing that they took. And then eventually they just it felt like in the 70s and 80s every sequel had to have a 2 or a 3 or 4 in the title. So at the time I kind of liked that they were kind of bringing back uh the the not just giving you Batman 2 but Batman Returns. But yeah, Batman Forever is a bizarre entry in that canon. Uh Peter, did you have some alternate taglines? I did. Um share share with the rest of the class. Batman Forever. Stop trying to fuck me. I'm Batman. Batman Forever. Roses really do smell like dead parents. Batman Forever. This summer, Jim Carrey is Jim Carrey. In Jim Carrey's Batman. (laughs) He's a more developed character. Like, he has an actual arc. Batman's character is just like, um, a woman tries to fuck him. He's he's like kind of weird about it. Hey, and then, I like that Nicole Kidman in this movie like is just like I have one goal 
that is to fuck the Batman. <laughs> Nothing is going to stop me from achieving <laughs> my goal. It, it's a very honest goal. It's an honest goal. It is goal. an honest goal. She is upfront about it. She is like, just FYI, I want to fuck you. You are Batman. It's a thing I want to do. Very psyched about it. Let's do it. And she achieves her goal by the end of the movie. So, so I, th- she has a better arc than Batman himself. Yeah. Her arc is, I want to fuck Batman. And then her arc midway through the movie, a little twist, I want to fuck Batman and Bruce Wayne. I don't know if they're ever going to go for for that. And then conclusion, oh, yeah, no, I fucked both of them because they're the same person. Uh, and then a little twist in there. I want to fuck Batman and still be breathing at the end of the movie. Um, yeah. So I said, I said two weeks ago, Kim Basinger had a very thin plot to work with in, in Batman. And she still, you know, made lemonade out of out of a very thin character that's basically just there to like try and fuck Batman. Um, and she, uh, she, she does some really good work in the first Batman movie. Uh, that is a, a full on like character art compared to what they give Nick, poor Nicole Kidman in this. Like, and like one of our best actors is especially like over the course of the past three decades, like one of our best actors, Nicole Kidman, and they give her the same plot that like they give a porn actress in a porn movie, which is, I need to fuck that hunky stud. And then she fucks the hunky stud. Like, that is, that is her arc. That's the character. Like, she, she gives a, she gives as much as she possibly can to the character, but it is somehow thinner than Vicki Vale. I think she ends up the happiest at the end of this movie. I Not murdered? She's a role model. <laughs> um, look. If you set your eyes to achieving consensual sex with someone, maybe you'll achieve it. And she does. It is, it is also like it's 2018, so I'm looking for more. I want male screenwriters to write more in their in their characters of of, of women than obviously maiden, a good point. But then, then, then um, what is a maiden in distress? Um, what's the trope called? Damsel in distress. Uh, damsel in distress. I would I would say though, and maybe you disagree, like I do think this portrayal of someone who is like that comfortable with her sexuality and what she wants in like like she's not in love with Batman. She just wants to have sex with him. I mean, that's pretty that's you're right, there's not anything beyond that, but that's like that's something for nineteen ninety five. Like she's a professional, capable woman and she just wants to fuck Batman. Like she ends up a dazzle at the end, but Robin does too. Like, I don't know. I like it's not a good, it's not a well written character. No one in this movie is, but <laughs> like, like it's like it's not. I I don't see it as like looking at the this movie and going, you know, who really stands out as being misused is Nicole Kidman. I think she acquits herself uh pretty well. And at least the character, like, has a clear, defined goal. I don't know. Luke, what, what's your take? I would agree. I think, like you said, her story arc is based entirely around trying to have sex with the strongest male figure around, which is not exactly a flattering way to write a woman. Oh, oh. wait a sec. Uh, I think Commissioner Gordon is clearly the strong. He's numbered. Batman's number two. <laughs> he's the commissioner <laughs> of all police, right? Like, he's... By, by oh, caveman sorry, rules. Uh, 
I don't know. You have to just recognize that Aaron is <laughs> dumb as a bag of rocks, and you just need to talk over him sometimes because you're smarter than him. Yeah, no, yeah, just keep going. For, but at that's the why same I time, talk over Aaron is because I'm not smarter than him. We're both dumb as a bag of rocks. <laughs> My bag is heavier. <laughs> I do appreciate that she was written as, like you said, a professional, capable woman, a professional psychologist with the mean right hook. You know, she actually fights off a bunch of Two Faces goons, which was more than most people seemed able to do. So I don't, I don't know. I've got kind of mixed feelings. I think on the whole, it's a weak and badly written character, but I feel like there was an effort made at least to not do exactly what they did. So I'll give them points for that. I mean, like, it's also interesting because we are this month considering the four movies made in the 90s, or I guess 89 to to Batman and Robin. Uh, we're considering them of a piece. It kind of feels like they're taking a step back from how interesting oh, and show, nuanced yeah. uh, Batman Returns uh, uh, love arc is. Uh, they're taking a, it feels like they're taking a step back to um, a... Not another Vicky Vale. She's even blonde. She even has the the red lipstick. Like it's it's another like really really talented actor that they have in the role that like isn't being given much. Um, and it so it feels like it feels like a big step back. I like that you keep saying step back. Like if Batman Returns called out for Batman Forever, Batman Forever would go speak up. I can't hear you. You're so <laughs> far away. Because, like, uh, Batman Returns is entirely about this relationship that's well-rounded, and it's about two people finding the edges of of each other's personality, and like, they're like trying to figure out like who they are as 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 people while they're trying to figure out who they are in love, which is you know a tragedy in the making. And then this is like Chase just really wants to get laid. It just occurred to me, though, um, if we had been better at our jobs, we probably should have asked you this at the beginning, Luke. But, Luke, before we before Peter does the plot of Batman Forever quick, um, what, what do you think of the first two, Batman and Batman Returns? I feel like there's a lot to admire in them. They have this very dark, gothic vision of this horrible, corrupt city that is just full of insane people abusing whatever power they can find. And then it just gets completely turned around in this third installment where Gotham City just becomes the world's largest rave and organized crime is apparently run by a performance dance group led by Don the Dragon Wilson of all people. <laughs> you make a really good point. It's a complete aesthetic switch and it's just very jarring if you watch them all in order. Like, Oh my god. It, yeah. It is like someone brought techno to Gotham and everyone just chilled out a little bit. Uh, that's super violent. Uh, it is so jarring. My note is that this the opening of this movie is like aggressively letting you know it is a different movie. But Peter, why don't you walk us through that and then we'll get into all this stuff in more detail. I will do. I will do. Um, Luke, you made an amazing point that all of a sudden Gotham – is itself way crazier this time around like the the before it was about the freaks standing out from the normies in the first two burton movies in this everybody's a freak <laughs> um so it's it's a it, but like not in a way that's actually like dramatically compelling to me but the movie you guys want to go to a fucked up circus tonight yeah i'm the richest <laughs> man in gotham that's what we do here all the richest people in gotham just go to a charity circus 
I'm not sure what that is. Yeah, a one-ring charity circus. Like, it's the richest people in town. Buy at least another ring. They're all Standard wearing these Armani tuxedos and everything. Uh, uh, yeah. Let me also let me also get in there real quick. He proposes to Chase as their second date that they go rock climbing, which is a very extreme, um, no E, just extreme. And uh, the truest 90s. fashion of the 90s, right. <laughs> also, uh, I've, I've been watching climbing. a lot of Yo! MTV... What was that? <laughs> what was that one MTV show with the crazy guy? I think his name was Dan. I'm, crazy I, Dan. That wasn't his name. This is the problem with me being the oldest. I always assume other people in the room are older than me and will know these things. Um, Listen, Aaron, it was probably like Little Orphan Annie or some bullshit. <laughs> Listen, just you go and look up Dan. <laughs> <laughs> so the plot recap is batman is batman uh we have no uh, origin story this time because it is a continuation of batman returns uh batman is hunting for uh two-face who is uh has taken control of the top level of a like multi-story skyscraper bank batman saves the day saves the the safe himself uh saves a person uh to let you kind of know what batman is all about uh, beats up Two-Face's goons, uh, survives, Two-Face gets away, but it establishes who Two-Face is, which is uh, Harvey Dent. Um, if you haven't, you don't know who Harvey Dent is, see any other Batman movie. Um, yeah, and if you don't know who Dan I was talking about earlier is, it's Dan Cortez, who hosted MTV Sports from 1992 <laughs> to yeah. 1997, and MTV Rock and Jock. The, the viewers were just... Biting their fingernails, trying to figure out whether or not we were going to figure this one out. This this caper. I really think, Aaron, you are the world's greatest detective, not Batman. What, what are they viewing this on? I don't know. <laughs> the, the, um, the box. They're viewing it on the box. Um, and we are making them dumber by the minute. <laughs> well, good. Then our box is working perfectly. So, uh, so then uh, Batman as Bruce Wayne. Um, is sort of uh, exploring uh, Wayne Enterprises. He runs a, a foul of a um, Edward Nigma, an Enigma, if you will. Uh, and Edward Nigma uh, is mad at Batman for having ethical concerns about uh, this brain sucking device. This it has a few applications in the movie, but one of the the primary one is that it can suck knowledge out of of people and put it into a recipient. A recipient. Batman clearly has concerns about this. Says, you know, I I don't think that program's going anywhere. Clearly, this this thing has some concerns for Batman, and uh, so he turns it down. Um, Edward Nigma goes crazy with rage and kills his boss and and uh, starts up his own tech company and starts handing out this device called the Box to put on people's TVs. Uh, Batman is trying to figure out like what the fuck the Box is. At the same time, Edward Nigma dons himself as the Riddler. Uh, becomes the uh, superhero that likes to, or so the supervillain that likes to hand out clues to uh, to Batman that he has to solve as the world's greatest detective, and uh, he teams up with Two Face, and Two Face is sort of the muscle. Uh, Edward Nigma is the, uh, the the brains of the operation uh, that doesn't really balance out that way, but I think that's the way they want you to think it's going to be, and uh, they push forward in a plan to destroy Batman. They set up a base on a big island and while this is all happening um batman um 
runs into somebody that wants revenge for the death of their parents, uh, a Robin. Uh, Robin gets killed by Two-Face in one of his many terrorist attacks in the movie. Robin's uh, family gets killed by Two-Face in one of the many terrorist attacks in the movie. And Robin um, has to sort of join forces with Batman, despite the fact that Batman just wants him to go to college or just live in his house, I guess, as a houseboy. I think sort of has- a house 45-year-old man. It has a little bit of a call me by your name vibe. Don't get me wrong. I don't um, know. I think I think I think they're the same age. Yeah, they they both. I think in real life they're the same age. I think Robin is supposed to be coded as a kid. He but is. Chris O'Donnell does not look any younger than. No, it's, it's it's a it's a bizarre casting choice to have like a grown man like who's gonna look after you? I'll yeah. be fine on my own. I hope so. You can rent a car. <laughs> 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 so uh robin is sort of like antagonistically engaging with batman and saying that like you know i'm gonna get my revenge um i'm gonna get you know back at two-face i'm going to kill two-face and eventually batman sort of acquiesces over the course of the movie and so they go to uh attack the tower together uh, at the end of the movie in the third act part they three. need to s- i didn't even talk about fucking chase that is I mean, she, we talked about her. She wants to have sex with Batman. She wants to have sex with Batman. Batman has sex with her, and then she gets kidnapped, and she's also at the tower, I guess. That's um, it. That's her that's whole it. deal. That's it. Yeah. Um, this was not me being sloppy at storytelling. She literally has no effect on the story. So then they uh, go to attack the tower. They beat up Two-Face together. They defeat the Riddler together. They save uh, Chase, and that is Batman Forever. Yeah, it's great recap. Um, these Batman it only movies, took nine hours. These Batman movies are very hard to do recaps of because they're just like scene after scene of like new stuff. And then, and then, was, I, and, I then and then, and then. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this one especially, like the other ones that are like, I think, so deep, especially Batman Returns, like information. And this one really is just like, and then they go here, and then they go here. It is, it it's... is unconnected from reality. From anything. It's incredible how little time it wastes in letting you know exactly what kind of movie it is. Um, my favorite line in the entire movie happens, I'd say, eight, nine minutes in, where Batman is trapped inside a bank vault with an ambiguously Jewish guard who is kvetching about the entire situation. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, this clear liquid starts pouring in, and the guard screams, Oh no! Boiling acid! Yeah. Which. Thanks, exposition guy. I mean, the chilled acid. That would have been really bad. But boiling acid, that's that's when you know you're in trouble. And just Yeah, that's also after Two-Face says, I'm going to I'm gonna get you with the same acid that got me or whatever. Like, And then they have an establishing shot of the, the, the guard dropping sunk, uh, his glasses into the acid and it making a sizzling sound. Look, as Luke said, the most dangerous part about acid is the temperature. So if it's chilly... Safe, medium, <laughs> little acidy, hot, hide your pets. It's a ridiculous and obvious stu- stupid plot development that they still felt the need to absolutely spoon feed to us as though we are idiots. <laughs> I mean, this, so, this movie is a little bit of like, we are going to overcompensate from how dark and how unchild friendly the other for Batman Returns especially was and just give you all the candy colors make everything very simple for you 
but still keep it a little horny to honor the memory of Batman Returns. To show you, Tim Burton's still got shooters out there. Still got shooters. I, look, I'm just going to pull the bandaid off. I thought this was the best Batman movie when I saw it in theaters three times in 1995. Again, Jim Carrey, of course. How could there be a better one? Only one has the funniest man that's ever lived on the planet in it. So, obviously, that's the best one. I didn't like Val Kilmer as Batman. Val Kilmer, who I've who I've been very positive on, this is our fourth Val Kilmer movie, which is kind of weird. I love Val Kilmer, uh, and he is terrible in this movie. But very quickly, I had watched it in a long time. I still kind of like this movie. It is kind of a little draggy in moments, but there's there's enough going on, Luke, as you said. Like it is telling you it is a cartoon. It's sixties Batman inspired. That there's, it's like, it's kind of a fun watch. There's stuff that's really bad, but like still watchable and you can get through it. And there's stuff like I legitimately really like, and I know this is an unpopular opinion, uh, but I really like uh, Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face in this movie. Legitimately like it. He's definitely playing a terrible version of Two-Face, but as someone who doesn't necessarily care about the integrity of the character that they're bringing to screen seeing tommy lee jones portray this maniac is fun to watch because this is just so different than anything else i've ever seen him do on screen that like it is a joy to watch him convincingly play a madman so we can get into that in a second peter luke i want to hear your guys's history uh, with this movie and um and what you thought about watching it now in 2018. Luke, would you uh, care to go first? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I had seen this movie only twice before rewatching it a couple days back in preparation for this. Um, once when I was a child, I think I got escorted to the theater to see it. Don't remember much about it. Watched it. Because we were four, five, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, us uns with our baggy jeans and our hip hop. <laughs> anyways i think i saw it again in Big college when all of my friends went on a batman marathon over the weekend and at that time i recognized a little more about it and then again like i said a couple days back and i have to say as a bisexual man holy mother of god there's so much queer coding in this movie and i don't even know how much is intentional and how much isn't between Jim Carrey channeling Ziggy's Stardust as the Riddler and then <laughs> Batman wearing all this very tight black leather and waving around all these very phallic instruments and driving this very phallic black gigantic car. I'm just... It looks like a, yeah. it looks like a penis with a ribbed condom on it. It is so phallic. Oh. Yeah. So here's what's crazy, and I want you to expand on that more, but, you know, I... I had heard a lot about like the queer coding uh, in the Joel Sh Schumacher Batman movies, and having having not seen them in a while, I assumed everyone was talking about the Batman and Robin relationship. Uh, maybe that's the case for Batman and Robin, but holy shit, you are right, Luke. Watching this, I'm like, oh, Jim Carrey's supposed to be in love with Batman. <laughs> How did I never get it's, this? I mean, yeah, I was a child, but like, it is so clear from like the way he like changes his appearance to look like him and obsesses over him and only cares about one thing. Like it's definitely an unhealthy 
uh, love that he has for Batman. But like, yeah, I did not pick up on that. At, it's uh, not at all subtle is the thing. Well, I <laughs> just a child. Yeah, yeah I'm not. Really I'm not saying that as a knock on you. It's just they weren't even trying to be coy about it. It's like he is no. very clearly in love with Bruce Wayne. And it's and it would be interesting, I think, if there was a tragic element to it. It would be more interesting, I think, if if there was a tragic element to it. Um, but he is portrayed as a raving lunatic right from the start. It's not like he's. Um, you know, uh, a, a guy who needs a father figure and needs some sort of like male figure to look up to. Like, it's not like he needs like uh, somebody to be a companion in, in his pursuit of science. And that's why he looks up to Bruce Wayne. He's just a nut job right away. So, like, it, it, I think it would be easy to miss only because you're like, oh, he's just a supervillain. He's just nuts. And like throwing people into the he's just nuts camp is an easy way to disregard their character growth. <laughs> and yeah, and, 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 and so like that's why I think people some people didn't catch it because they're just like oh he's just crazy which is he is he's nuts but like he is clearly in love with Batman. I'm just saying it bothers me that that's used as a way to demonize him. The fact that he is in 100%. love with another man, a hundred percent. I was expecting in an unhealthy, horrifying way, but the fact that that's used as a sign of that rather than a symptom or a symptom rather than a sign i think i got that reverse there (laughs) (laughs) it would be if it were a more if it were a more tragic thing i think it would be like at least passable but yeah you're right him being in love with batman and him just being a nut right away is just kind of like (laughs) like it's still it's still not would be great but you know what i mean Part of it is obviously the way that Jim Carrey portrays it, which is a lunatic. But I kind of see like there's there's something there that if they develop more, like you can you can see why Edward Nigma would care what what Bruce Wayne thinks because you get the sense again. This is a lot of me picking up some very leftover threads that they didn't develop in in, in because they were so busy having you know Jim Carrey yell and dance around. <laughs> But it's like, a big theme in the movie. It's it's huge, that is the theme. Um, you know, like this idea of like, this is a guy who's been toiling away at this Wayne Enterprise, and he is a genius who has invented something that he sees his boss doesn't give a shit about him. His other co-workers probably treat him like shit, but he, and he kind of senses that he has created this amazing thing. And he is this super genius who creates amazing things. And in his mind, he's built it up that the one person who will give validation to that is super genius. Bruce Wayne, like who's created this company. Like if I get in front of Bruce Wayne, he's going to see in me the genius that I've seen uh, in myself and obviously, like, then when that – when his entire hope in the world, there's, like, a mental break that occurs. Like, that's – his entire life has been building to that moment, and it was just – that's interesting. We're not going to do that. And that's, like, that's it. That was that was the summit he was aiming for, and then that turns into – like, all that, I think, has the potential to be interesting. It's just not – the seats of it are on screen, but instead you're right, Luke. Like, they just go for the – They just – dive straight into the deep end of lunacy he's already he doesn't have like a mental break when his entire life is turns out to be building to nothing he is like fucking crazy 
when he talks to Bruce Wayne and Bruce Wayne is like, get this crazy guy away from me. Yeah. So my, my thoughts on the movie basically um, are similar to Luke's um, probably because of our age. Uh, I got dragged to it as a kid, but then um, I saw it on probably home video a year or two later and I, I liked it, but like I don't have real memories of then because I was probably like six. Uh, but with this, uh, my my thesis on the movie is basically that like it is affected by the same thing that the previous two movies are, that a lot of big budget uh, action movies and even specifically Batman movies uh, and Superman movies are affected by, which is that they feel like this compromised beast, this thing between being pulled between all of its creators. And then it, eventually they got to fucking make a cut and put it out in theaters. And this feels it didn't have the characters or the thematic central goal that like Batman Returns and Batman had to help pull it through some of the messiness. Batman Returns on a plot level is maybe as messy as this. I don't know. Uh, but Batman Returns has huge characters with with fully formed arcs. And so you don't follow it as a plot-based movie. You follow it as a character drama, which is a very weird thing for a superhero movie now. So that's my thesis on the movie is that, like, it doesn't have good characters, but also the plotting is kind of a mess. So you're not really sure how to engage with it at times and you end up becoming disengaged because you're like i don't know if i should follow the characters because like batman is kind of a nothing thing in this movie and the riddler is like way too big tommy lee jones is sort of just this weird like other chaos element in the movie despite the fact that the riddler is also a chaos <laughs> element in the movie that's why they get like, along so well that's another fascinating thing to me just like in most movies with two major comic villains, they would be bickering, they would have their own agendas, they would be fighting, but they get along famously. Like, there's a couple scenes where they're even like cuddling with one another. <laughs> and it's just, I don't know, something about that I think could have been very intriguing, but they just yeah. kind of make them this one homogenous force rather than two distinct individuals. Well, and Tommy Lee Jones kind of takes a backseat to in the back half. Like, he really becomes the henchman. In like the last third of the movie. Oh yeah, and, and and I will say about the theming in the movie to go back to Luke's point. So they could have made a really great theme in the fact that Batman let uh, Edward Nigma down, and the fact that like there's a a theme, there's a whole dialogue exchange with Alfred and Batman about how Alfred says, you know, Batman, you can't just force. Uh, Robin to become who you want him to become. You can't just force him to go to college. You can't just force him to, you know, get his life back on track while he's still figuring out what this whole, you know, parent death thing means. But what you can do is redirect that that anger, that emotion, that that pain into something productive. Um, and I feel like that was an accidental touchstone on what happens in the first part of the movie that they didn't even realize was there, which is like Batman clearly Edward Nigma looks up to him and Batman just fucking ignores him and Batman never takes ownership for the fact that his ignoring the Riddler is what created the Riddler. That could have been a great that could have been a great theme for the movie is that he created one and then he he fixes his mistake by doing good by Robin. Yeah, and if if uh Riddler instead of just being like 
I'm in love with you kind of because there's hints of this too. Like he kind of takes a little bit of like a talented Mr. Ripley thing where he's like, I'm just going to become you. Right. Because he's like trying yes. to be the better Bruce Wayne. But still then. No, I guess I've never seen talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> So it's you. You've got it. You've got it. Do I have and it? Yeah. But he's it's like, about it's about a, a person trying to take over another person's life. Yeah. So there's if there's some other thing that doesn't work with it, I just know that part of it. But he's he's keeps trying to throw that in Bruce's face, like I'm a better Bruce than you. Like you said, the jilted lover. I think there is something kind of fascinating in that after being rejected by Bruce Wayne, he runs to the other powerful male figure in town, which is, you know, the horribly scarred Harvey Dent. He runs straight into Two-Face's arms, like some kind of rebound lover, basically. (laughs) It's true. As you mentioned. It's true. And I'll just say it would be so fitting if it turned out Two-Face was bisexual. Oh, my God. Yeah, it would be. Because he's got it, it, Drew Barrymore and that other unfortunate actress no one has heard of hanging around him all the time. Uh, <laughs> hold on. Debbie Messer, the seventh build lead in Entourage? Come on. <laughs> she's, uh, yeah, she's in Goodfellas. She's, she's the uh, bad guy in Beethoven. She's the bad guy in Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? She, uh, she throws the coke <laughs> down the, down the um, she, Yeah. I really liked Two Faces, like his aesthetic, just half like sober and conservative and half absolutely garish. Not only in just his suits, which were the most obvious part, but like his layer is like half this beautiful Art Deco and half this charred, ugly, hideous furniture. Or there's even one scene where he's got two revolvers. One is got a black finish, and one has got a stainless steel finish. Which I just yeah. and appropriately enough, both are twenty twos. But <laughs> <laughs> look, so, if Batman wanted to solve this really quick, he should have been talking to every tailor in town. <laughs> every pizza place he was getting the half and half pizzas. Yeah, say so, hey, have gotta- you have you ever? Uh, like taking two suits and sewing them together? <laughs> no. Get out of here. <laughs> so, real quick question. Hope this isn't inappropriate to ask everybody. Still going to ask it. Um, does that mean that his penis is half evil, half good? Or does that mean that his penis is one side and his balls are the other? That just depends on how bad his acid burns were, I guess. <laughs> I think he cut it in two. Like- oh! <laughs> Oh. Oh. penis go to one side and then does his balls go to the evil side or something like what's what are we working with here i just need to know what's going on downstairs how does he make love to both these beautiful women in a way that makes both of them happy he, apparently drew barrymore is stepping out on him a little bit he flips his coin he flips the coin because the Drew Barrymore being in this movie is to me baffling because usually in these kind of roles, these sort of like we need hot women to say three lines. They just hire supermodels. They don't hire actual like recognizable actresses. Was she actually that famous at the time? Well, that's the thing is that I think that she was actually kind of on the decline prior to this movie. You have mad love, bad girls, boys on the side. Doppelganger, No Place to Hide, Gun Crazy, Waxwork 2, Poison Ivy. Like, it's not till right after this that she does Scream. And then she's like doing Wedding Singer and Ever After. And like, her second life as an actor comes right after this. 
Yeah, because in Wayne's World 2, she's a very similar role. She's just supposed to be um, a, like, very pretty person that hits on Wayne. Yeah, they I had, just watched Wayne's World 2. That is the entire joke. <laughs> yeah, there I mean she had they hadn't really figured her out as an adult actress yet. Like that this that kind of started right after this. So I I didn't know who she was, I think, when I saw this movie. Yeah, this must have been a time where she was like willing to take role, these kind of nothing roles that are kind of condescending. <laughs> yeah, the the Two Face so I a lot of people really don't like the portrayal of Two Face in this because they're like it's just a second rate joker. Like obviously it's not taking anything from the Harvey Dent. Um we mentioned this I think on a couple episodes, I think last week, but like it it is true that like Billy D. Williams had put in his contract that he got to play Harvey Dent in subsequent subsequent movies and they had to buy him out of his contract. Because he had known that, like, if you're ever going to do Harvey Dent again, he's probably going to become Two-Face and then I get to play him. So that was really shitty um, that that's how that occurred because they looked at him and said, uh, no, thank you. Um, for uh, Who else did they say no to? Marlon Wayans. Sensing who, a theme here. Yeah, it's almost like they didn't want talented actors in the movie. Uh who were black yeah no it's, it's really it's it's really shitty like the fact that they they spent money so that two uh people of color wouldn't be in the movie like they spent millions of dollars fucked it's so fucked up yeah not a fan of that i mean i don't know if marlon wayans would have done a better job than the, than jim carrey um because nope. well he would have uh, done a better job than chris o'donnell oh he's robin. robin sorry he's robin sorry I just assumed he was Riddler because it was another comedian. Casting him as Robin would have been just fine. Robin is so. Can I can I sit here for a second? What do you guys think of Chris O'Donnell in this movie? Because I find him incredibly annoying. He's way more annoying than Jim Carrey in this movie. I think he seemed like very safe casting, considering what they were going for. He's a yeah. terrible actor. Like he's, he's not good. Yeah, really I understand good. he hasn't really had much of a career since this, and I can see why he's pretty wooden. But in fairness, I don't feel like he was given a whole lot to work with aside from ah, I'm gonna kill Two Face. I'm gonna make a bunch of bad jokes and throw some poorly poorly choreographed kicks, and that's it. That's what I do. <laughs> so, uh, Aaron, do you remember in the Long Kiss Goodnight episode when we made an enemy of the show? Oh, you want to make another enemy? You want to add would, Chris O'Donnell, Craig Bierko? I would love to add Chris o- Craig Bierko because they, they're enemies of the show for the same reason. They're smug without the charm. You can't be yep. smug no, with I no that's charm. Right. That's why we've Isn't all there tolerated. Isn't a third person? I feel like Probably. I, I, feel like, I feel like it was Craig yeah. Bierks and then like another person. We're negging them even more right now. Yeah. That's, that's how... That's how bad you are on our board we wrote your name with disappearing ink <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's craig bierko guy number two chris o'donnell welcome to the big board of you're not a very good actor man craig bierko he was the star in the american remake of red dwarf which i absolutely hated <laughs> let me so guess you, so you want to get on percent because of craig bierks he didn't help Luke, you, what you, do you think you, about guy number two? Guy number two being Chris O'Donnell? No, some guy that we've forgotten from a previous episode that we also were like not a fan of him and his acting. 
Tell you what, if I see guy number two again, I'm going to kick his ass. <laughs> Fuck yeah, Luke. What so about Chris O'Donnell? <laughs> but yeah, Chris O'Donnell has the smugness without the charm in this movie, which um, there's a few touches in the movie. Like he has, uh, he has the earring in, which people complained about. And at the same time, they complained about the nipples on the bath suit and the crotch shots and the butt shots. Uh, I mean, the earring seemed appropriate for the time in which it was set. That was what yeah. bad yeah. boys did. So I'll, I'll give it up for that. Yeah. Yeah. Did his helmet seem to not fit him well? Was that a was that just me? Or do those helmets just always look stupid? That seemed kind of shoehorned in, in fairness. Robin is, if you step back and look at it, kind of a weird name for a sidekick to Batman. So Yeah. Bats. Birds. Bees. Batman was it, written by Will Arnett. It is it. It's interesting to hear these people that like had to. So these these guys just trying to struggle to make a living got paid like fucking nothing for the the job. Um, well, except for Bob Kane who cashed in on other people's work. But these people that got paid very little for the job back in the day, they just came up with these goofy characters, and then like. 50, 60 years later, we still have directors trying to like take that super seriously. Like, how are we gonna how are we gonna acknowledge the fact that this guy's name's Robin? And then like in Dark Knight Rises, they're like, let's just shove it like right at the end. Like like the last line of dialogue let's, will be. Let's have it be his given name. Um, <laughs> why would we do that? Shut the fuck up. Like because because like, it's it's part of the mythos. We're very embarrassed by it. Please let's let's move on. <laughs> It's just become so established that just no one questions it until, like I said, you step back and look at it objectively and you realize just how ridiculous comic books really are. One thing about Robin I do want to be clear on is that we talked about Edward Nigma. He goes back, has kind of a sad existence in his apartment, you know, kind of a sad moment into a sad person's life and you get to see that. There's one sadder moment in the movie is the saddest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It's Robin. He, to burn off steam, does Kung Fu laundry. It's so embarrassing. It is one of the most embarrassing things in this movie. When he looked back on this, like Robin, let's say this movie was actually a documentary and he looks back on this, this, the part where he feels the worst is not his parents dying. It is when he sees the scene of himself doing not like a lot of Kung Fu laundry, like 20 seconds. So, you know, they left it in like, this isn't cool. This isn't like a full thing we have worked out. I'm just going to see you kick one shirt. That's it. Very it's, embarrassing. What I love it's about so that embarrassing. is that Alfred's reaction is basically the same as every single audience member would have been at the time. Just what the fuck is this child doing? <laughs> An adult yes. sat down and was like, how do I show how cool this guy is? He does ninja laundry. <laughs> so, but they needed shit for him to do between bat. It's basically like. He they needed to find shit for him to do between him Batman leaving and Batman coming home and being like I guess I need a Robin let's have that conversation and that's why he also has that thing where he like to get into the Bat Cave he like does all the the swings off the chandelier and shit yeah like, he does get in, get, a bunch of parkour which I love because right before he starts doing it he yells now because you know <laughs> for the sake of 
all the other people in the room that are going to watch him do that. Oh, yeah. It's it's really good. It's really not embarrassing at all. Um, you know what's really but- funny is the one person we basically not talked about is, uh, ostensibly, uh, the star of the movie Batman Forever, uh, Batman. Batman, I feel like, has, like, 15 minutes of screen time. It feels like Joel Schumacher was purposefully trying to hurt Val Kilmer because like Val Kilmer as Bruce Wayne seriously does get like no no screen time he's so bad so we talked about this in Island Dr. Moreau which is like a really bad movie full of these insane performances and I talked about how Val Kilmer was like my favorite and I liked him in Red Planet also not a good movie because he just has like this weird cocky energy and part of that is because at the time he was a horrible human being but he, there is something – I don't know if that's related. He could have just been a good actor. But, like, he has, like, an electric energy when he's on screen. And this movie, it is like someone – some off-screen supervillain sucked the life out of his performance. And I, I can't think it's just because, like, he didn't like Joel Schumacher and, like, phoned it in because – he didn't like uh, John Frankenheimer on on Island of Dr. Moreau, and he still, like, gave his lines a little twist. This is like, oh, hi, Robin. I am Batman. Did he take the car? Chase, I see. Like, it is almost like a dare. Like, hey, I'm fucking Batman. What if I give <laughs> nothing to every one of these lines? It's kind of so, crazy. And the weird thing is that Val is great casting. Like, yeah. He, he, Val Kilmer has both the, it's sort of like a Christian Bale thing. Like I have some disappointments with the, the Nolan movies, but overall I'm really into them. Um, but one of them is that like Christian Bale was cast, I think, because like they were like, he can nail both halves of the Batman thing. He can be a really good Bruce Wayne and a really good Batman because he's so physical and big and, and scary, but also like he can play that smug douchebag. We saw him in American Psycho and then the scripts just didn't really appear for that or he was edited out of scenes for that. Um, Val Kilmer's well, the same Val thing. Can Val Kilmer funny, can play like, this. Val Kilmer can be funny. He can be smug. He can like be in the moment. But then there's that whole that whole exchange with Jim Carrey is so uncomfortable when he's first meeting Edward Nigma because he's yeah. just like he, he you watch his cheeks, watch his mouth. He just keeps making this weird twitching thing where he's like a person uncomfortable in their own skin, which would be a character choice if it was like in any way recognized in the rest of the movie. It's just him being uncomfortable the whole time. But I don't know if it's deliberate. It's not the way, the way that uh, Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton, you can tell he's making a choice when he's like, I don't really like being Bruce Wayne. I like being Batman (laughs) that you can tell that that's a choice. And there's dialogue building that in. But I just, I don't know. Like, he's a good actor, and he's been in so many bad movies, and he always gives you something. Like, maybe Joel Schumacher punished him by giving all of his worst takes, but it's bizarre because it's not like his performance varies. It is consistently a the dullest man alive. That's that's the character he plays. It's deliberate. Like, whatever, whatever he decided he was doing here is deliberate i think the only other time i found val kilmer this boring was uh did either of you ever see the saint yes yeah. yes he's, he's doing the same thing in that movie too where it's like hi i'm the saint oh hello i'm gonna go steal like but so it's like it's something that he thinks is doing something i can't even comprehend stoicism 
he it looks like he's he he's clearly ripping off like some other actor like a James Dean or Marlon Brando that he admires because he doesn't open he purposefully does not open his mouth yeah. when he talks, which is like clearly a choice. Like Mar- when you see him in interviews, Val Kilmer opens his fucking mouth and talks to people. But like in in movies of this era, he's just like this sort of like I don't give a shit. I'm this. Uh, I'm a. I'm a hard boy. It, it took him like the first twenty years of his career to figure out like how to be charming, which is insane. Like it took him basically until Kiss Kiss Bang Bang to be like, oh, I can be an interesting person. I feel that Batman in this movie is kind of an embodiment of the adage, villains act, heroes react, and it's just everything he is given to do is in reaction to another character's actions, be it Riddler, Two-Face, Robin, even Dr. Chase Meridian. I had to think for a second even remember her name. It's just He's just there to build everyone else up. You're so right, dude. I have in my notes. I have, I have. Batman is so reactive in these movies, um, and it's interesting because like he's the world's greatest detective. He doesn't even seem to be hunting for these characters. He just seems to be like, well, I hope I'm in the room when they attack. <laughs> yeah, he's just a one man yeah. fire brigade. Harvey, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. Uh, I'll uh, give I'll give some points to that. That was actually kind of a genuinely heroic moment. He was yeah. willing to give up his secret identity if he thought it would save lives right then and there. It is jarring though watching this next to the last two movies because like this Batman who is supposed to be the same as the one in the previous two movies is a different person. He cares about different things. We talked about on um the Batman eighty nine episode that like Michael Keaton in those movies does not seem to care at all about saving people he cares about being batman and if you save people great but ultimately he's trying to outsmart these these geniuses and that's like his version of fun he definitely doesn't really work with the cops where in the first scene of this movie he's like let me get all the information from the police officers who are my best friends he lectures robin about killing people which he does gleefully in the other two movies like so, like, that, that heroism works for this movie, and it's fine here, but it is everything about the way that they portray Batman is jarring when you watched in front of Burton's. It's a, it's not just a different actor. It's a, it's a completely different version of the character, and it, that was surprising to me watching these so close together, which I, I guess I've never done as far as I can remember in, recently because, I like I said, I didn't – I didn't remember them changing this much about, uh, like, obviously the aesthetic changes, the actors change, the directing changes, the the, the volume changes, um, everything else. But, like, I didn't remember that they really were like, no, this is who Batman is, like that guy, not not even close to any of this stuff. Because, really, all of his touch points as a character in the previous two films are just not present. Um. Yeah, there's there's not really much there. The, the it is weird that this movie is called Batman Forever and the next one is called Batman and Robin because this movie is entirely built around him connecting with Robin and in the next one they're just Batman and Robin. Like it just starts as as that. But there's a there's zero dramatic involvement from Batman in this movie, so it's just a weird thing where like he's just this black hole. And usually the the heroes are the least interesting thing about these movies, but like it shouldn't be this much. 
and and we're gonna end up cutting this pretty short because we a little behind the scenes we start about an hour late but it's kind of fine like this movie is not offensive to me um as a movie it is there's things about it that are absolutely offensive but from from a true bad movie perspective this is kind of a yeah this is like fine i guess it's not good but it's not i don't i don't feel like going in some bad movie groups and railing against it it's it has some good ideas it just is you know <laughs> we've maybe been beating around the bush like Joel Schumacher is just not a good director he's not he's taken a lot of interesting premises and made like interesting premises, good scripts, and made okay films. And then he's taken mediocre scripts and made bad films. Even stuff that of his that like I I would say that I have some affection for, like uh, Falling Down or Lost Boys or um, Flatliners. Like those movies would be better with someone else making it. Those movies are decent scripts, good premises, good actors making like three and a half star movie. And we should note that Joel Schumacher literally apologized for Batman and Robin. So I'm going to rewatch when we're going to watch Batman and Robin. He didn't apologize for this one. His commentary track on Batman and Robin is insane. And I'm going to try to rewatch it that as well with the movie because it is a commentary long apology. Yeah. It feels weird to kick kick Robin while he's down, Chris O'Donnell while he's down, but like he is seriously a poochie in this movie. Yeah, well, and unlike his parents, <laughs> at least he can get back up. God, Yeesh. God, he, isn't he? Isn't he such a poochie in this though? Like he's he's an attempt to be like a hip young character that they infuse in in this world where all these like old comfortable characters are and he has all these like moments that are supposed to be like isn't this cool teens and then he's just this fucking edgelord who's just talking about murder the whole movie and you're like and then batman has to be like you shouldn't murder people it's bad and then like at the end of the movie he's like if you're gonna murder him murder him like there's no good no good dialogue is brought out of out of chris o'donnell in this like it's so fucking frustrating to me because that is to me the movie the movie is bad this movie is batman and robin this movie is about batman and robin's relationship developing because the movie does not devote any time to batman and chase's character it took me a second to remember her name uh the movie is not about Batman and the Riddler, it could be about (laughs) Batman and the Riddler, like Batman feeling bad that he created a villain for the first time and that like if he had just been like more present and and, like had his eyes open as the world's greatest detective, he could have, you know, nipped this in the bud. I feel like Um, that was handled pretty well in the original Batman back in 89 because he and the Joker were mutually responsible for one another. Yeah. And there's a sort of, yeah, there's a sort of give and take where, like, the Batman is like, well, you killed my parents, you created me who I am, and and Jack Nicholson's like, you literally let me fall into a vat of acid. Like, <laughs> you literally created me. I, f- I like, figuratively created you. <laughs> um, I love this idea of some Warner Brothers exec sitting in a boardroom going, how do we get kids to like Batman? Got it. Rude toed Robin. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, no, Batman has been historically hard to get the children into. Uh, Robin who gets busy constantly yeah. and thoroughly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. 
but yeah, it's it's a uh, yeah. Batman's mad at Robin because he's like revenge is bad. Uh, that's a theme, right? And then the movie just went on from there. That's the movie in a nutshell for me. It's just this like watered down version of the previous ones, but it's not like the worst movie of all time. It clicks at different points. It has some fun little character moments at times, but it. it, it the action is shot with like zero competence and it's edited with zero competence. You can never tell what's going on or get excited by it. But the, um, the piece itself is just like this sort of like bland object. And I don't really know where to land on it. Um, Luke, what, what, what do you think of the thing overall? Overall, I have to say I'm not terribly in favor of this movie. Um, <laughs> it would be easy to blame it as being a product of the 90s. But I feel like there are just so many tone deaf things going on that offend me as a queer man, as a feminist, uh, even as a martial artist in terms of the fight choreography, like you were talking about a moment ago. It's just right cross, sidekick, unusual looking throw. That's it. Okay, break for lunch, everybody. It's just like, let's get energy on the frame, and they will not realize it is Jim Carrey is the nexus of the movie. Let's get energy on the frame, and then we're good. Let me ask you a question, though, Luke, as a martial artist, have you ever done Ninja Laundry? I have done Ninja Laundry an exact number of zero times in my life because Ninja Laundry is dumb and impractical. You know that at the end of that sequence, he has to get on a mop to clean everything up. So. I, know. I know. That's the best part. Like, oh, this is dumb. And he puts everything so. on a clothesline while standing right next to a perfectly good dryer. So <laughs> I think the next movie, if I recall correctly is leans more sort of like Batman 1989 and Batman Returns. I think the next movie is where uh, Joel Schumacher got the um, the reins taken off a little bit more and got to go a little bit wilder. And I think that's the movie that more they make fun of the Batman and Robin as a gay stereotype thing. So it's interesting. We'll talk about this more next week. Um, in some ways, the reins were taken off. And then in some ways... Like the toyetic stuff was like, you need to do all these things in this movie. I don't care that your last one was a success. And the one thing you get from Joel Schumacher and his commentary is like he doesn't fight the studio system. That's fine. Like he but he doesn't push back on anything. So he actually had this other vision for this movie. He wanted to do Batman year one. He is like a huge Batman comic book fan and likes the darker version. And then unlike Tim Burton. Yeah, and then when st- and then when the studio said no, we want this, he goes okay, and he talks about that a lot about Batman and Robin with the success of Batman Forever had all these other ideas, and he he you know he just said okay when they when the studio said I want to do something else, so I mean it kind of makes sense in a little bit because again Joel Schumacher seems like a lovely person, but he's supposed he's, to be so nice in person. Yeah, like I, I mean, hear it, nothing. But yeah, I've heard he's very pleasant. Yeah, and every every interview and like he's uh, self-effacing and like does not he's not worried about like addressing the problems with his movies and stuff like that. He seems like a very pleasant, uh, nice individual. He just happens to not make very good movies, in my opinion. And I think it's because like the reason he's gotten as far as he has is probably less because he makes these amazing movies or even amazing blockbuster movies and he works very well in the studio system when the studio tells him to do something he does it and that makes that makes him easy to work for from that perspective but i think it's why like if you hear him talk about um batman forever and batman and robin he has some very interesting 
uh, ideas for the movies that I would have liked to see on screen, but he didn't push back against um, and, and saying don't didn't push back implies like he had some sort of obligation to push back, which obviously he doesn't. But regardless, like ultimately he sort of did what the studio wanted him to do, which is, you know, not always the best idea if you want to make an amazing movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that's a great way to sort of push this to the end because I firmly believe that like there's interesting things to talk about in this movie. I'm really glad we did it. But this movie's greatest lesson to me, I think, is that um, VR got better than they imagined in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. You're not you, – you, when you put on your VR goggles, you mostly just play fishing games, right? Oh, no, I just – I just uh, my favorite VR game is called Pretend You're Wearing a Hawaiian Shirt, and I look down <laughs> my, my Hawaiian shirt, and then I look next to me, and like some people come and hand me a drink, and then you know I stand perfectly still and smile. And oh, then you good. then you have a Hawaiian shirt. It's great. So clear, that's the whole that's the entire name of the game. That wasn't <laughs> me adding commentary. They're poorly titled. Yes, they need a little marketing punch to it. Yeah, someone get a marketing. They they thought that VR could sell on its own, but you need marketing and everything, guys. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, so the point of of all this, I think, the greatest lesson of these movies is actually you don't actually have to have that much of a duty or an obligation to the original source material uh, to make a good movie out of an adaptation. Batman. Um, and Batman Returns are not actually like great comic book adaptations in terms of like, you know, the what the character was at that point in history or what the character had been. They kind of veer off the, ed- the uh, off the edge of the pages and, and sort of become their own thing. Um, this is a little bit more of like a rudimentary Batman. It's a little bit closer to the source material. It has some interesting jokes and notes that are, are original, I think, to uh, Joel Schumacher's vision, whatever that is. It shows you what happens when like you don't need somebody that like gets comic books and like knows the original source. You just need somebody who has a vision the movie just needs a vision (laughs) something that they can stick by and something a story that they want to tell this feels like a movie with no story to tell no vision it's mostly just a watered down version of someone else's vision which is like really sad yeah what a and on that note (laughs) yeah luke do you have any do you have any final thoughts on the movie uh that you want to sort of just going off your point there, I think that is the beauty of comic book movies. A lot of these characters have been around since, in Batman's case, the 30s. They've been around 50, 60, 70 years. They've been interpreted by countless artists and writers and everything. They've been viewed in every possible lens. So there's not really one right magic way to interpret these characters. They are a lens through which to view the zeitgeist, through which to view the audience even. And I think that is what is so appealing about these characters, that they have been around for so long that they can mean anything to anyone. So, you know, I'm a big fan of the Nolan Batmans. Batmans? I don't think that's the right plural. Batman? Uh... (laughs) Batman. Uh, Batsman. <laughs> Batsman. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> but these characters just mean whatever it is you want them to mean. Whatever issue or idea you want them to tackle, that is what they are there for. They are symbols more than anything. Yeah. No, that is perfect because uh, Peter and I always say that we're not 
do do what you want with your movie from the source material. Just make it good. And this this is definitely a case where they just kind of forgot to do that part of it. <laughs> Nailed the first part, though. And that's partial credit C minus. Luke, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I Not only was it us coming back from uh, a two-month vacation and doing this where we're a little out of practice, but it started with, like, the most disastrous start we've ever had. Um, so I hope you had fun. I'm sorry if this was a little uh, awkward or unsmooth, but uh, this was great, and I, I hope you come back in the future. Oh, thank you for including yeah. me. It's been an honor and a pleasure. This is a blast, man. We're going to be bugging you to come back soon. Um, Aaron, do you have anything to promote? Luke? Oh, yeah. Luke, do you have anything to promote? I don't have any side gigs that really need a larger audience, so no, I'm good. Any cool. that need a smaller audience, because that's really <laughs> special. <laughs> Remember, kids, spay and neuter your pets. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> um, Aaron, so what's yeah. going on next week? Next week, we have, we're finishing this up with uh, Batman and Robin with Morgan Renis. And then we are jumping into Musical May Part Due. Are we doing Part Due, Part Two? What do you think, Peter? You just said Part Due, so let's do the do. Yeah, let's do the <laughs> boogie. Well, let's not dance. do that. Oh, Luke, don't do the boogie. Can Luke, just we hang up. Can just we do the up. boot? It's just going to get worse from here. What about the boot scoot boogie? <laughs> We're not doing the fucking we, boot scoot or the cha-cha around, or the electric around. fucking slide. Ugh. No. So anyways, uh, the movies will announce guests next week because I don't have it in front of me and I want to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're doing Hedwig and the Angry Inch. We are doing Tokyo Tribe. We're doing Little Shop of Horrors. And we are doing, it's going to come to me by the time I get to the end of this sentence, hopefully, The Lure. Um, so those are the four movies. We're really excited. Uh, as Brandon Lede, former guest, said perfectly on our facebook page he enjoys our new strategy of doing good musicals uh, <laughs> so uh although i would say i liked four out of five of the movies we did last year but there wasn't as much to talk about xanadu as we thought we're excited for for this month so thank you guys so much uh for coming on for joining us whatever you your specific role in this podcast is thank you peter i missed you luke I have a new friend to miss after this is over. But any anyone else want to talk or? We, oh we, yeah, um, I, I missed you too. And Luke, also, I would like to say something awkward to you. It is very nice to meet you. Uh, and good night, guys. Good night. Good night forever. listening to we love to watch thank you so much for listening to our show and we've got just a few quick announcements for you there ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs baby if you'd like to talk to us uh tell us we're stupid tell us we're beautiful the quickest way to get to us is our facebook group facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. 
And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. <laughs> That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page, especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.